side of you, this is a great place for that too. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, uh, to the letter of Jude. It's the second to last book in the Bible. Jude, just a single chapter. I'm going to give everyone a moment to turn there. And uh, I just believe that what we're about to do right now is powerful. It's not necessarily because of me. It's not necessarily... Uh, because of any one personality, but it's because the Word of God is anointed and the Word of God is alive and it just has a supernatural, special way of penetrating into our life and getting real with us. Getting real with us. I want us to read from the text and then I, I want us to pray to that end and just yield ourselves and say, Lord, I, 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 want, I want this to come alive to me. I know that's your prayer. So let's let's read Jude uh, I would say chapter 1, but there's, no, there's only one chapter. Just begin reading at the first verse. Uh, it says this, Jude, in the New King James Version of the Bible, Jude, a bond servant or a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were called, everybody say called, called. sanctified, everybody say sanctified, by God the Father and preserved, everybody say preserved, yeah. called, sanctified, and preserved. In Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent, he was very eager to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to minister from those few verses this morning on this thought, contenders and pretenders, contenders and pretenders. Let's lift our hand toward heaven right now all across this room and let's pray like we talked about just a moment ago and say, Lord, I yield myself to your word and to your spirit. Why don't you pray that over yourself and over your household right now? Lord, I want to receive from you today. Lord, it's not an accident. I recognize that it's no coincidence that I'm here right now in this place during this time. Lord, you have a word for me. Lord, I want it to get into my life. I want it to penetrate past the noise, past the distraction, past everything that's going on in my life, and I want it to speak to my heart in any situation that I'm facing. Lord, I want it to transform who I am. I want to become more like you, Jesus. Lord, and on that last day, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, whatever it takes for me to get to that place, Lord, I want it to happen in me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord as you're seated. (coughs) I was with my family yesterday evening, and as I often do, I read this passage of Scripture to my children, the passage that I felt like I was going to minister uh, this morning. And we got to talking, uh, and and when your children are as young as mine, you just have have to make sure you put it in whatever words are going to best get through. And we got to talking about how I just, I want to be the real thing. I want to have the real thing. There's a lot of things in this world that will claim to be one thing or the other, 
There's even a lot of messages in this world that will claim to be the gospel of Jesus Christ or will claim to be biblical, but I want to do whatever it takes for me personally to get into the Word of God. I want to lay hold of that thing that is real. I want to have a real and living and active relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that you can have that for yourself today? It doesn't have to go through an intermediary or a mediator, but it's something you can have a direct one-on-one encounter with the one who loves you more than anybody else. I'm talking about the real thing going on in your life. I'm thankful for the salvation that we share. Jude is writing about the salvation that is common to everyone. There's nothing more valuable than your salvation. There's nothing more valuable than your eternal soul. There's nothing you ought to look forward to more than on that day hearing the Lord Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faith. There simply should not be anything that takes precedence or preeminence over everything you have to do to make sure that you are positioned to hear those words. I've been ministering for several weeks under the theme of we are living in the last days. We don't have a lot of time left to make sure that we've got everything we need ready to be ready for that day when Jesus returns for his church. We just don't have very much time left. You can look around the world that we live in today and you can see the signs of the times and you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there are things occurring in our world all around us that send the signal, the unmistakable signal, that these are the last days before the Lord comes and the end of the age happens. If you aren't convinced by the signs of the times and the things we see happening in our world, we can know from the testimony of Scripture beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are living in the last days simply because of this one fact, that God has manifested himself in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come and he died and was buried and was resurrected and poured out his spirit. God manifest in the flesh, and we are living in an age of the Messiah. We are living in a time period not of law, but of grace. This is the best time that's ever been to live for God. We can live under this covenant, this agreement that God has made with man, and we can have our sins forgiven and washed away, and we can be filled with the very Spirit of God Almighty. And God Almighty can dwell on the inside of you, and He can start to rearrange and reorganize your life in a way that is glorifying to Him and transforming to you. There's never been a better time to live for God than right now in these last days. The apostles continually wrote in the New Testament that in the last days there would be some who would be scoffers and there would be some who would be people that were looking for the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. (coughs) The writer Jude is writing about that very topic in the passage that we read together just moments ago. He writes to the church. You know what I like to pretend? I don't have much of an imagination, I guess. I don't know. But I like, Brother Billy, I like to pretend sometimes that these letters, this is a letter. 
I like to pretend sometimes that Bishop Williams opened his mailbox yesterday morning, and there was a letter inside from Jude, the brother of James, half-brother of Jesus, and that it was a word for us today, and that we had to carry it into the church house, and we were reading from it, right? There was a church. There was an original audience back in the first century that had that very thing occur to them. One day, they opened the mailbox, and there was a letter there from an apostolic man of God, and he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to deliver that word to them during that season. Isn't that powerful? I believe that the word of God is not only for that audience of the first century, but it's for you and I today. It's a word. It's not just an ancient document, but it is a living and active and powerful word for anybody that has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Jude is writing to them and to us who are also living in those last days. That in the last days, there's going to be those who he calls false teachers. There's going to be a spirit of deception that is prevailing through the land. And the Holy Ghost communicates through this letter that there are a few things that the church needs to be doing to combat false teaching and false doctrine and the deceptions of the adversary in these last days. Don't you want to know what those are? The first is he says you need to contend for the faith. The second, he says you need to remember the warnings of the apostles. You need to build yourself up in the faith, praying in the spirit, and you need to keep yourself in the love of God, focusing on the Lord's mercy. Called. Sanctified. Preserved. Those are the words that Jude uses to describe the people that he's writing to his audience, you and I today, called, which is to say we've been invited in to a relationship with God. There's been a call that's gone for. If you're here today, you're among the call. There's a call. Whether or not you've responded to it, there is a call that's going forth, and the master is beckoning you to his table into his family. Sanctified, which is to say you've been filled with the Spirit of God and God is doing a transforming work on the inside of you that is ongoing and continuous. Not just something that happens in an instant, but something that's ongoing and continuous every day. And preserved, which is that nothing can pull you away from salvation unless you decide to walk away from everything the Lord has given you. There is no demonic force. There is no force of the adversary. There is no philosophy of this world that can lead you away from God unless you yourself submit to it and allow yourself to be led astray by it. Verse 24, I'm getting ahead of myself, but verse 24 of Jude's letter says, to him that's able to keep you from stumbling. I'm talking about being preserved. He's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you and and present you faultless. You can put your eternal soul in the hands of Jesus Christ and know for certain that you have salvation and that there's something that's happening in your life that the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Let me help somebody right now and just give you a clear word. You can make it. With God, 
you can avoid falling. You can make it. I know that it can be difficult sometimes. I know we face trials and tribulations, and there's challenges to our faith that come up when we live life. But you can make it. You can, you, no matter what you are facing right now, you can reach the other side and hear those words, well done. He can present you faultless. Not because you are faultless, but because he is faultless and you are in him. You can make it. You can live with that assurance. You don't have to go through life worried second to second, minute to minute, day to day. Am I secure in my salvation? Is the Lord really doing something in my life? If you've been born again of the water and of the spirit and you are living a truly repented life before God, you can walk in assurance and authority and confidence in the Holy Ghost. You can exercise spiritual gifts. You can expect the fruit of the spirit to manifest in your life and God will do a work in you and he'll continue to do it until we reach those pearly gates on the other side. Called, sanctified, preserved. Sometimes we can get nervous about our salvation, but Jude is writing and he just wants to reassure the church and the saints of God, even those that are gathered here today, that no matter how dark the world becomes, no matter how perverse the value system of this world may look, no matter how twisted some of the false teachers and the doctrines may be that we hear today, truth will prevail and people of faith will be steadfast. You can make it. <clears throat> you can make it. God has already declared, I will have a church. I will have a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The decision then that each of us needs to make and act upon even today is will you do what is necessary to be a part of that church. There has always been some, a response that God has required of his people to be a part of the covenant that he has set up with man. There has always been a response necessary. There have always been steps that you and I need to act on in faith in order to be in relationship with him. It's profitable today to speak and to declare the salvation that we share. It is a great salvation. We have a great Savior. But Jude writes, I wanted to write to you an entire letter about the great salvation that we share and everything that has to do with it. But I felt instead that it was necessary to write to you concerning this other topic. Can I pause and just say I'm glad for godly spiritual leaders who will pause and say, you know what, it's necessary to talk about this right now. That when the Holy Ghost moves upon one of our leaders, 
they're following after the Holy Ghost, and they said, you know what? I had in mind to do this one thing, and it would have been good, and it would have been profitable, and it would have been edifying to everybody, but I'm thankful that that same spirit that Jude had, that he was prompted in the Holy Ghost, that I was going to do this one thing, and Brother Brian, it was going to be fine, and it was going to bless everybody, but I felt it necessary instead, given what the Holy Ghost is doing in this hour, to instead talk about this other thing. That may seem like a small thing, but when somebody is led by the Holy Ghost, that's the difference between going through a ritual and hearing from God. Jude wrote a letter that wasn't the letter he intended to write. He was eager to write this other topic, but the Holy Ghost prompted him for the sake of you and I even today to address the topic that he did. He said, I felt it necessary to admonish you that it's time to earnestly contend for the faith. There are times when you need to contend earnestly for the faith. Can I say that and just change one word? There's times when you need to step up and contend earnestly for your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Let me clarify that. I'm not talking this morning about your personal interpretation of Scripture because Scripture is not for any private interpretation. I'm talking about we need to earnestly contend. There are things worth standing up for. There are things worth staking some ground on. And it is your faith. Your faith. Not. Let me take a step even further back. And say, I'm not even necessarily talking about whatever the Lord has personally convicted you on, even though that is a dimension that you need to be steadfast in. I'm talking about the fundamentals of the faith, the faith that Jesus is God manifest. Don't you know that the one doctrine that the Antichrist spirit is going to place under attack in these last days is the doctrine of God manifest in the flesh, the Lord Christ Jesus? Because he knows if he can attack that and he can erode your confidence in that doctrine that everything else is going to fall, off, fall apart underneath of you. You need to contend earnestly for the faith and know that the things that everyone in this world serves are not the same thing that you serve. You don't recognize those things as authoritative. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the whole world. He is the only one that is God manifest in the flesh. Now here's what the people that Jude is writing about were trying to do. They were trying to do that very same thing. <coughs> They were trying to do that very same thing in the first century. There wasn't even a generation that had gone by yet. And there were already challenges to the faith. Already, within the space of just 50 or 60 years, there was already those who were challenging the faith and trying to erode away some of the core foundational doctrines of what it meant to be a person of God. The world and the adversary are attacking bedrock doctrinal and creational issues in our day, just like he did it in their day. Let me explain what I mean. There are things as fundamental as gender identity, marriage, 
the definition of life for the unborn. Things as simple and clear-cut and fundamental as those things. Those things are creational issues. They go all the way back to the very, very foundation of what God is doing in the earth. Creational marriage roles. The kind of relationships that parents ought to have with children and children ought to have with parents. Those things are the things that are under attack in our day. Not to mention essentials like the oneness of God. The new birth experience as explained in the New Testament. Those things are under attack in our day. The reality of heaven and hell and eternity and judgment are under attack in the days that we are living in right now. We share this faith and this salvation. It's common to everybody, and you've got to lay hold of it with everything you have. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let me say it another way. There's not one kind of salvation for one type of person and another plan of salvation for another type of person. But the scriptures repeatedly say there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. There's one plan of salvation. There's one way to be born into the kingdom of God. Jude's writing to us about contenders. Contending or pretending. The top message that Jude wants to convey to us today to impress upon you is the urgency of being proactive in protecting your faith. Still ministering about the last days. We are living in last days. The word of God repeatedly uses the word perilous. There are perilous times will come in the last days. Perilous. Even the very elect will be led astray and distracted and deceived in the last days if they are not on guard and contending for your faith. What is happening? What is happening during the generation of Jude? What is happening in our world today in these last days? Jude is placing in the crosshairs the false teachers of his day that are saying the same kind of message that is still prevalent in our world today. And what it comes down to, and you can see it in the text, is a misinterpretation of grace. He says they've taken the grace of God and they've perverted it and twisted it into lewdness. (coughs) They... Use somehow the grace and the forbearance of God as a license for immoral living and unacceptable behavior. And in doing so, he says, they deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. Recognize with me, when the enemy starts speaking those false doctrines and those false words into the church and into your mind and into your life, as he is doing in these last days, his ultimate target is not what you eat for breakfast or whatever the Lord is convictionally leading you to do as part of your daily walk with him. The ultimate target is the doctrine of who Jesus is. 
They were seeking to compromise the identity of who Jesus was. They were trying to reduce Jesus to a mere prophet or a mere teacher or someone that was just a historical figure. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was all of those things, but he wasn't merely all of those things. He is God. He is the King of kings. He is our Lord and Savior. He is God manifest in the flesh. It's why they were stunned in the first century when Jesus walked around and started forgiving people of their sin because they knew there's only one who can forgive sin, and it's God. They thought he was being blasphemous. They didn't recognize that he was fully God and fully man and that he had all power in heaven and earth given unto him. They will attack the doctrine of who Jesus is and the grace that he's bestowing on his church, the forgiveness, the latitude that he gives you and I when he extends grace and forgiveness to us and he tries to empower us to live victoriously over sin. They try to dive into that gap and wreak havoc in the minds of the saints of God and in the church. How does it happen? How does it happen? How many are familiar with carbon monoxide? Hopefully you're not too familiar with carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide is very dangerous. It's an invisible, odorless, tasteless gas. And it's very, very toxic. It's very, very poisonous. If you take in too much carbon monoxide, you won't make it. And... The tragic thing, whenever, every once in a while you see something in the news about a death due to carbon monoxide, and it's absolutely, it's heartbreaking, it's tragic, because it's odorless. You can't detect it. At least we can't in our own, in our natural faculties. We have to have something that is happening in addition to our senses and our body to pick up what this carbon monoxide is doing in the negative, and even its very presence And that's how Jude writes and says that these kinds of things will infiltrate. He says, he uses that word, he says they'll infiltrate. They'll creep in unawares into the vocabulary, into the thinking of the people of God, even in these last days. False teachers had infiltrated that community and the thinking of the church, and they had done it so cleverly And so seemingly innocuously that the saints hadn't even noticed them. That's why I like to think, you know, there's, there's, I like to think I've got, Brother Turner, I'd like to think I've got a good handle on everything all the time, but I'm finite. And there's things that slip past me. That's why I like to imagine, just humor me, I like to imagine that sometimes we just get one of these letters in the mailbox. And it's from somebody who has seen a vision and says, I, wrote, I wanted to write to you about this one thing, but I felt impressed by the Holy Ghost to do this other thing because you're dealing with some stuff that you maybe don't, haven't even picked up on yet. There's some carbon monoxide that's floating out in the air in these last days. And if you're not careful, if you don't have something that's helping, and that's what this is, this is like one of those devices you plug into the wall. I've got them in my house that will tell me if there's too much carbon monoxide in the air. One of these letters can serve as an addition to your natural senses. There's things, I, I, know, I know about the oneness of God. 
You know about the new birth experience. Many of you do. You know about the creational issues and, 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 and those kind of things that I mentioned a moment ago. But it, sometimes it's not a matter of, of just knowledge. Sometimes there's a spiritual component that's happening. And we need the Spirit at work alerting us to what's going on in the days that we're living in. We need that plug-in thing on the wall that will help me detect the things that sometimes I can't detect on my own. And so this individual named Jude has written a letter and saying, you need to be on guard in these last days. Because even though we share a great salvation and we have a great Savior, there are corrupting influences that are able to sneak in unawares to infiltrate your way of thinking and your way of conducting yourself. And some, <clears throat> some can point back, maybe even in this room, you can point back to a time in your life where you allowed an individual or some individuals into your inner circle of influence and you thought, you know, there's, there's really nothing there's really nothing wrong. They profess to be in the church. They're related to so-and-so in the church. They must be all right. And we fail to really give them the real litmus test of are they a spiritual person? Are they the right kind of spiritual influence that I need projecting themselves into my life? And what happens is if we're not I'm not talking about shutting ourselves off into a, a spiritual silo and not associating with anybody. But if we are not careful and we are not prayerful about the influences that we allow into our lives and the kind of thoughts that we entertain and the kind of company that we will keep, it will slowly start corrupting our convictions and our beliefs and our lifestyle. There's false teachings about fundamental topics that had slipped into the church even before the end of the first century. And it can absolutely happen today in these last days. Can I say something that's just, I don't want to be harsh, I just want to be, want to be clear. It takes more than wishful thinking to maintain a godly lifestyle and to maintain godly doctrinal integrity. It takes more than wishful thinking. It takes action. It takes a living faith. It takes a, a consistent daily response toward God. That's why Jesus says, they that endure till the end, the same shall be saved. There's a defining characteristic and a dividing line. I, I preached about it a couple weeks ago here from 2 Peter chapter 3. There's this one characteristic that seems to just always appear over and over when we're talking about the last days, when, when the New Testament writers are talking about the last days. They talk about a number of different things, but there's one characteristic that seems to always make an appearance, and it's the characteristic of godliness. Godliness. Certainly, conduct is important. I don't want to be put on the record in, as one that's downplaying the importance of, of our actual behaviors and our conduct. It's certainly important. We even saw in 2 Peter chapter 3 that even the direction that we're looking is important. And the direction that we're facing is significant. But there's a recurring word, a recurring idea that always shows up in these writings. And it's the idea of godliness. 
Godliness is different from conduct in that godliness exists in that inner dimension of our life, that inner place of our life that's really only truly known to you and God. And it's your heart's response to him. When the word is going forth, when the spirit is moving, it's the heart's response to the things of God. That's godliness. And Jude says that, and this is why I took it up as the dividing line in these last days. He says there's going to be those that creep in. And, and, and what's the adjective that he attaches to them? He says ungodly people. Ungodly people. That tells me, I don't mean to frighten this morning, but that tells me I need to be spiritually discerning. Because it tells me that there might be some whose conduct seems to be in step. And there might be some whose direction may seem to be right on the money. But there's an inner dimension that we need to be spiritually discerning and sensitive to called godliness. And he says these are going to be ungodly. How else would they be able to creep in without anybody noticing? Godliness, he says. Godliness, un, the word ungodly, just if you've still got your Bible open, you're looking, if you're able to look at that short letter of the book of Jude, the word ungodly is used six times. In tw- the, there's 25 verses. Six times the word ungodly. Just He's trying to get our attention and say that this is the dividing line. This is the one characteristic or attribute that's going to determine whether you're contending or pretending. Contending or pre- I knew, I know. I know where I'm at right now. Whether you're contending or... I'm talking about that place that is really only truly known to you and God. To you and God. The conduct may be in place. The dress code may be in place. The direction that you're looking and that you're going may seem like it's on point. But I'm talking about that inner life, that place, that place of godliness where your heart is either responding or it's dulled to the things of God. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now? I feel like the Holy Ghost is, is, is speaking to individuals all over this room right now. Would you, would you be sensitive to him right now and just say, Lord, I want you to speak to me? Would you do that? The dividing line of the last days is godliness. To be ungodly is to have a lack of reverence for God. There is no fear. There is no trembling. Jews back then, the people that Jude, some of the people Jude would have been writing to, when they used this word ungodly, what they literally meant, the idea that they were conveying, was that there was a sense of practical godlessness. They were living practically like there was no God. Regardless of what ideas they professed, Jude says that there will be a prevailing spirit in the last days. And here's what he's, and again, 
I, lo- I said this back when we were in 2 Peter chapter 3. I love it when the writers of the New Testament give us an example. You can almost hear what the voice of those last days is going to be like and what that prevailing, deceiving spirit is going to be saying. See if this sounds familiar to you. They'll say something like, you know what? He, he says they're going to pervert and twist the doctrine of grace. They're going to misinterpret it. They're going to misapply it. And, and here's what it will sound like. Salvation is a free gift. We don't earn it by good works. Therefore, we can't lose it for a lack of good works. Therefore, it doesn't really matter how we live. That's the doctrine that Jude is saying is going to be prevalent and in the atmosphere in the last. It was in the atmosphere in the first century. It's in the atmosphere even today. People that will say, you know what? Salvation is a free gift from God. And because it's a free gift from God, there's nothing you can do to earn it on the virtue of your good works. And because you can't earn it with your good works, you can't lose it for your lack of good works. Therefore, it really doesn't matter how you live. So you might as well just live however you want and do whatever you want. And that's what Jude means whenever he says, they have taken, they have taken the grace of God and they turn it into lewdness. And in doing so, he says, it's not just an attack on behavior. He says, but in doing so, they deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, what I've just described represents a staggeringly large swath of Christian teaching today. I'm not here to put anybody on blast today. I'm in the Word right now. Jude says... He calls out the particular brand of teaching that we have so prevalent in our world today. Preachers who will declare Jesus but refuse to draw a clear line for people's conduct and godliness, either from lack of understanding or lack of a backbone. And they will peddle cheap grace as a substitute for the transforming power of the Holy Ghost. Just because you can't earn salvation doesn't mean it doesn't cost anything. This grace that has Jude so fired up is a costly grace. He's standing in the gap and contending for it and calling for others to contend for it because he recognizes that this grace is not a cheap grace, but it was bought with the very blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. It costed something. You don't have to earn it. You couldn't do anything to merit it if you tried your whole life, but it still costs something. We are bought at a price. Far be it from us today to adopt the way of thinking that Jude is explaining is going to be prevalent in our day that not only allows somebody to live however they want to live, but in doing so denies the very lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ. The enemy is very subtle. He will come in unawares. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ and what it represents. And the deception of these last days 
is to miss the connection between the grace of God and the transforming power of the Holy Ghost. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The dividing line of the last days between those who would be contenders and those who would just be pretending is godliness and grace and allowing the transforming power of the Holy Ghost into every dimension of your life. Recognizing that the grace that I've laid hold of is not cheap, but it was paid for at a high price. And because of that, everything I am, every part of me, I willingly submit to him because I am not my own. I hope you hear my heart today. I hope you hear the message of Jude today. Paul wrote to Timothy one of the last things that he ever wrote to him. He says, Timothy, guard the deposit. Guard the deposit. There's been things deposited into you, Timothy. There's been doctrines and there's been experiences with God and there's been God moments that have happened and there's been things, callings, and things that have been deposited into you, Timothy. Guard the deposit, Timothy. I'm not calling for a some radicalized, violent, aggressive form of our belief system, but I'm talking about earnestly contending for the things that matter most. I'm talking about guarding the deposit. It's that deposit. It's that doctrine of who Jesus is and what he desires to do in your life that is going to see you through in your darkest hour when the trials come and the tribulations come and the voice of the adversary is loud and in your ear. It's that knowledge that Jesus is with you. And that he's not content just to give you a pat on the back. But there's a transforming power of the Spirit of God that can take the broken pieces of your life, the things that are dysfunctional, the things don't work like they should, and he's able to take those areas and he's able to heal them for his glory. The blood of Jesus Christ represents a God who loves you. He sees your sinful condition, and he is not content to give you a spiritual pat on the back and leave you that way. So he offers grace for every sin. The punishment that you were going to receive for sin, he endured it on the cross. The musicians would come. There is judgment in store for pretenders. Let me go absolutely on the record because Jude is crystal clear and I don't want to dance around it this morning. There is judgment. He uses the word condemnation in store for those who would be pretenders. Their condemnation was put in place long ago, he says. Long ago, they were marked out for that condemnation. And then on the other side of the coin, there are those who are called, who are sanctified, 
and who are preserved. And we call them contenders. There is a way to apply what Jesus did at Calvary to your life today. To unleash that transforming power that I'm talking about. Jude says there'll come a time when there'll be voices in the world in these last days that will try to throttle back that transforming power of the Holy Ghost. But I want to tell you that there is a way today and no demon in hell can stand between you and it. There is a way today that you can apply what Jesus did at Calvary to your life and you can unleash that transforming power of the Holy Ghost into every dimension of your life. Simon Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost and he said this, he said, Jesus, this one that you crucified, he's the Messiah. And he's offering salvation for the whole world. And as he got done with his message, there were some that still had a question. They said, Simon Peter, what do I need to do? I, I believe everything you're saying. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he's God manifest in the flesh. No matter what the voices of this world have tried to tell me, I believe it. I've got faith for it. I believe that he's not only God manifest in the flesh, but that he came to earth to do something about my sin problem. That I'm a broken person and that I can't do it on my own and I need help. Thank God they asked that question. They said, what do I need to do? To do. They didn't say, what do I need to believe? They already believed it. What do I need to do? You see, in every covenant that God's ever made with man, there's always been a response required in faith. Simon Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he added this bonus promise that I love so much. He said, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you want to apply this message to your life, if you want to reject the lies of the adversary that are so prevalent in the days we live in, and you want to make a stand for God in these last days, I want you to stand to your feet right now all over this room and recognize with me that in the last days there's going to be a lot of contending and there's going to be a lot of pretending. And in moments like these, we get to decide to hear from God for ourselves and say, God, I'm going to contend for the faith. I'm going to contend for the faith. Let's lift up our hands all over this room right now because there's an atmosphere of faith that's here right now. And there's those that are ready to respond to this message. There's a place that only you and God sees, and that's the place that he's dealing with you at right now. I want to invite you to take a step of faith towards this front of this building. These altars are open. I would that every saint of God would say, you know what? I'm a contender today. If you're a saint, if you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you've spoken in other tongues, if you've been baptized in that mighty name of Jesus, I want to invite you to take a step of faith forward right now and say, God, I'm not here to pretend. I'm here to contend. God, I'm not here to go through the motions. I'm not content with a ritual. But God, I'm going to earnestly contend. There's a message that is too important to go through the motions on, God. But Lord, I'm going to take a stand in the middle of this ungodly and untoward generation because there's nothing more valuable to me than you. 
Come on, there's no comfortable middle ground today. I wish that I could tell you that there was a comfortable neutral territory that we could somehow linger in today. But the fact of the matter is, there's only going to be pretending and contending. There's not going to be any that are just comfortable, that are just lingering. It's contending or pretending today. If you're looking for the real thing, if you want a, a, a little bit of the real thing today, if you need a real encounter with God, you ought to have your hands lifted up or your knees bowed all over this room. Beautiful Lord, wonderful Lord.